This is Mike Nesmith. You may not know who I am, but... This is not one of your standard brands. Let's don't uh, waste the joy on mirth. Yeah, well, that could have been your face. Where's that sound coming from? Podcast presents questions but no answers preserving and celebrating the musical legacy of michael nesmith this is episode number four papa jeans blues i think you're just gonna have to listen louder Hello and welcome to episode 4 of Questions But No Answers. I'm your host, Brian Marchese. In the background is the super ultra groovy Wichita Train Whistle Sings version of this episode's featured song, Papa Jean's Blues. And this song is indeed a big one. A jewel in the Nez crown, if you will. And so, this will be a big episode, which will feature not one, but two guests and completely disregard my 30-45 to minute episode guideline. In fact, forget I even said that. After my intro, the main part of this episode will be bookended by a conversation with a woman whose name you might recognize if you've ever spent any time exploring and socializing on Video Ranch 3D back in the day, or if you follow the Michael Nesmith UK tribute page on Facebook, or the absolutely essential and wonderful WordPress blog called Focus on Nez, or the Tumblr page called Saving Nez's Post. And the person I'm speaking of is Ms. Linda Wiles of Cornwall, England, who will share with us many stories of her decades-long fandom, her online presence, as well as what Papa Jean's blues and Papa Nez himself meant and continues to mean to her. In between the two Linda Wiles interview segments, I'll talk to my talented and charming friend Ryan Quinn of the wonderful Salvation Alley String Band, about the nuts and bolts of Papa Jean's blues from a songwriting point of view, as well as a discussion about Nez's impressive guitar playing on the Mike and John demo version, which has popped up on YouTube and various blogs in recent years. And that'll be just one of several versions we'll hear on this episode. We'll also hear the monkeys bashing their way through it live in Phoenix on January 21st, 1967, Nez with his Tropical Campfires band, live at the Brit Festival in 1992. Nez solo with just his 12-string at the Troubadour in 2018. And of course, the version we all know and love, which can be found on the first Monkees album, as well as on a handful of episodes of the Monkees TV show. But before we take a listen, let's do a quick rundown of the history of the song, with dates and such provided by the heaviest book in my library, and possibly yours, the second edition of Andrew Sandoval's Monkeys Day by Day. So, on March 28, 1966, Mike's publisher, Randy Sparks Country Music, copyrights a new Nesmith tune called Happiness. This will be the last Nez tune published by Sparks. Around this time, Mike and John record a demo of this song, which Mike announces as Papa Jean's Blues. After all, The word happiness appears in the song, and that would just be too obvious now, wouldn't it? And now that he's a monkey, 
Three months later, on June 16, 1966, Screen Gems buys out Mike's management from Bob Krasnow and his publishing from Randy Sparks, which includes 24 copyrights of Nesmith compositions, some of which wouldn't be heard for years and some never at all. These titles included All the King's Horses, Different Drum, Don't Call on Me, How Can You Kiss Me, Just a Little Love, Don't Wait for Me, Two Different Roads, Hollywood, Where Has It All Gone, and Happiness, aka Papa Jean's Blues. July 7th, 1966, with Mike in the producer's chair and a band consisting of Al Casey, Glenn Campbell, James Burton, Jim Helms, and Peter Tork on guitar, though the finished product just pretty much features Burton and Campbell as the most prominent guitar players. Bill Pittman on bass, Hal Blaine on drums, and once again Jim Gordon and Gary Coleman on percussion. Thirteen takes of Papa Jean's Blues are recorded, though now Mike is calling it Brand X on the official studio log for reasons only known to him. James Burton plays the lead guitar and is the one who Mike refers to as both Magic Fingers and Luther. Pickett Luther was something that one of Mike's heroes, Johnny Cash, would say to his guitarist, Luther Perkins. And I think Magic Fingers was a way to let listeners know that, despite what they might see on the TV show, that that is not Mike Nesmith playing those fancy leads. Of the 13 takes, take 5 is deemed the keeper. Lastly, a week later on July 16th, Mike lays down his lead vocal and, continuing his effort to get all the monkeys involved, has Mickey, Davey, and Peter sing wonderful sounding backing vocals. Though in a preview of things to come, despite the excellent group results, Mike decides to wipe their backing vocals from the final product. Kind of similar to how he decided to use his own studio version of Circle Sky with his own session musicians on the head soundtrack, rather than include the excellent full band live version. So with all that behind us and so much in front of us, let's waste no more time and have a listen to the definitive version of one of Michael Nesmith's most endearing and enduring compositions, Papa Jean's Blues. Well, I shouldn't say definitive version. This is actually not the version heard on the first Monkees album, but a remix from the Super Deluxe box set, which restores Mickey, Davey, and Peter's backing vocals, as well as a little bit of studio chatter. Get even more Latin than that if you want to, baby. Sounds great. This is five and we're rolling. No heartaches felt, no longer lonely nights of waiting finally won me happiness that's all rolled up in you. And now with you as inspiration I look toward a destination Sunny bright that once before was blue I have no more than I did before But now I've got all that I need For I love you and I know you love me So take my hand, I'll start my journey Free from all the helpless worry And with you I know I'll never have to pass the high 
Papa Jean's blues to my ears represents the first real quantum leap in Nez's songwriting, which we'll let Ryan Quinn discuss later on in the show. I can only imagine that when he debuted at the Troubadour as an acoustic song, it must have gotten the attention and earned the respect of anyone listening. And while some pro-Nez partisans might point to it and say, that's where country rock was born, Nez invented it, I'll shake my head and say, nah. Rome wasn't built in a day, and no one person created the delicious combo of country and rock music. Elvis Presley, Ricky Nelson, and the Everly Brothers, among others, had already been adding country to their rock and roll, while folks like Buck Owens and Johnny Cash were adding rock to their country, and who knows what kind of unrecorded musical shenanigans were going on in bars and garages across the U.S. before this. And so, the melding of the two was natural and inevitable. There's no... And on the third day, young Mike Nesmith created country rock, I'm sorry to say. I'll add to my argument by saying that a couple years earlier, the Beatles wrote and released I'll Cry Instead, What Goes On, and I Don't Want to Spoil the Party, all of which have country and rockabilly elements. And at the same time, and in the same city that Nez was debuting his new country-tinged originals, songs like The Birds' Mr. Spaceman and Buffalo Springfield's Go and Say Goodbye were also displaying a country influence, which was simply part of their rootsy yet progressive pop sounds. And of course, at this time, a trust-funded Harvard dropout singer-songwriter from Florida named Graham Parsons was masterfully blending country and rock in his International Submarine Band, though nothing commercial came of Parsons' efforts until he briefly joined the Birds in 1968. What Nez had that the others didn't was access to serious session players with serious country chops like James Burton and Glenn Campbell, which is both a blessing and a curse. Because his innovative songs like Papa Jean's Blues were A. Largely heard on a television comedy show, B. Released on a mass-marketed album that also included sappy ballads and formulaic bubblegum pop, and C played by many of the same Hollywood studio cats who were also playing cardboard country-flavored material for bad Elvis movies and TV shows like Green Acres, much of the honesty and integrity that young Nez was desperate to get across and which can be heard on his demos had been all but stripped away. And this is the start of the major conflict in Nez's career and why his early creative innovations weren't given their due credit. Of course, I'm simplifying the story, but we've got a long way to go. So for now, let's just focus on the studio version that we just heard. Because I played an alternate mix found only on the super deluxe edition of the first Monkeys album, we hear Mike instruct, get even more Latin than that, which tells me that he wasn't necessarily strictly going for a country sound, 
but rather was like a kid in a candy shop with the means to throw in whatever sounds were percolating in his always active brain. In Infinite Tuesday, Nez repeatedly mentions the song Tico Tico No Fuba as a musical touchstone for him. This was a Brazilian song that became extremely popular in the 1940s when Ethel Smith performed it on organ in the film Bathing Beauty. tons of other versions by big names of the day. Like this one by Desi Arnaz. Nez said that the song touched his soul and sparked his imagination and lived inside of him from the first time he heard it as a youngster. And from Papa Jean's Blues, to Tango Amore, to Rio, to Rising in Love, to some of the songs on Rays, Latin music was just as present as country music in Nez's musical toolkit throughout his career. I must also add, just because it's a recurring theme, that in the 70s and 80s, Tico Tico was also a song that Jerry Garcia would lead the Grateful Dead through uh, during tuning breaks or while waiting for equipment to be fixed. Oh, and hey, in case you're wondering, the title Tico Tico no Fubar uh, is Brazilian Portuguese for... Rufus Collared Sparrow in the Cornmeal. Here's a tangential point. When Nez out of seemingly nowhere came out as a major stoner after weed was legalized in California, I know that I was among those who thought that he should consider jumping on the celebrity weed bandwagon. And while Papa Jean's Blues is not at all a drug song, two of the taglines I would have suggested for his product would have been, never pass the high road for the low, and happiness all rolled up in you. Huh? And now, before we get on with our guests, I'd like to read a quote from the man himself which is taken from a 2013 Rolling Stone interview. When asked about Papa Jean's Blues, Nez said, It was one of the first songs I ever wrote, and it has an idea at its core and a structure to the chords that spontaneously assembled in my mind. I also like the idea that it was acceptable to the producers of The Monkees Show, who were mainly interested in commercial hits. It was all a learning experience that taught me lessons I still use. And now, let's get to part one of my interview with Linda Wiles. All right, so it is my pleasure 
an honor to uh, welcome to Questions But No Answers one of the most loyal and dedicated Nezheads that I know of, and far away as well, at least from here, is Linda Wiles, who is coming to us from where? Cornwall, in Con the UK. I've, I've, I've been there once. I was there, I think, in 1997 or 98 or something. It's hard to get out there. It's not, it's not a straight... <laughs> right out in the sticks. Yeah. Uh, I think I remember seeing there was like, is it cows just kind of roaming around on the shore? Or was, oh, could be, yes. Yeah. In places, yeah. That was amazing. <laughs> so let's uh, start with your history as a um, Nesmith fan. When did it start? And did it start with the monkeys? Or are you one of the very rare breed that somehow got into Nesmith separate from the monkeys being the introduction to his work? Well, um, I can tell you when it started. It was the 31st of December, 1966. Wow. It was about half past five in the evening, I think. That was when the first episode of the monkeys was shown in the UK. Oh, that's amazing. And it was a few few seconds, actually, into the opening credits when Nez did that sort of frowning thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that hooked me. I was hooked from then on. Oh, wow. <clears throat> did you get to see them when they came to the Wembley in 67? No. Or? No. Yeah. I was only 12 years old then. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> I'd only ever been out of Cornwall once. You know, London is a long way away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah. so you're, you're, you're Cornwall... The whole way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I didn't see him in the uh, in the 70s either when he came over. So I didn't know about it until afterwards. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're a long way from any big cities that would have sort of um, American magazines or or things like that. And there, there wasn't any way to get any information for a long time. People outside the cities had didn't really have much contact they didn't have much information mm -hmm. unfortunately but yeah it's amazing to you know say listen to the cosmic partners show and there's probably like 30 people in the audience yeah. and then you know the yeah. um the roundhouse show the zigzag concert you know and yeah that's, what like two thousand people or a oh, i would have loved to have gone to that one if i'd known oh. about it yeah 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 so as far as following the monkey's career, um, you know, the first round, did you sort of ditch them, you know, around 69 or whatever, like most fans and kind of move on to other things? Or did you? Well, when they broke up and uh, the, the best, the best um, source of information and for me down here, uh, was uh, the Monkey's Monthly magazines. Mm. Um, and they had news bits in them and interviews and lots of photographs. And uh, when they finished, well, when that folded and the monkeys broke up, it was very difficult to get any um, information on them here. And I sort of I sort of lost contact with the with Nez's career. Mm. Um, and I didn't. And because I, I missed out on the 70s things, I didn't didn't know about them until afterwards, really. Mm -hmm. um, I 
to be honest, I didn't catch up with him, his career until um, 2006 when I got my first computer. And then I found Video Ranch mm-hmm. and uh, it, uh, um, I made loads and loads of friends in VR3D. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I caught up on everything and so many sites then of, uh, that you could find information on. And and I found uh, Andrew Sandoval's first book, the day by day one, yeah. uh, in a in a local bookshop. And that filled in um all the gaps for me then. Mm-hmm. That was a that was a brilliant find. That was Yeah. What a mm-hmm. what a great book. And did you ha- did, did you order the um the one that gave my postman the hernia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, I got the second day today, and I've got the Mickey one as well. Yeah, same here. Mm-hmm. I always like to know sort of outside of the realm of Nez, um, sort of like what your musical taste leans towards. Right. Um, well, in the 60s, when the monkeys were at the uh, top of my list, I was because it was sort of pre-teen years and early teen years, I was really into pop music then. Mm-hmm. And um, the Hollies, the Moody Blues. Mm. Um, and there were a lot of girl singers over here at that time as well. You know, Dusty Springfield, Lulu, Sandy mm. Shaw. Um, all the all the top pop acts, really. Yeah. Then, then going into the 70s, when I was sort of older teenager, I got more into... Groups like um, Queen mm-hmm. um, and um, Status Quo, Bowie, Rod Stewart, um, that sort of thing. Then Queen, I think, was my second favorite because uh, uh, the drummer is a tour boy. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can see the school he went to from my back window. Really? <laughs> yes. That's funny. Uh, Roger Taylor, is that? Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, he, he lived in Toro for most of his school years. Ah. Mm. So there's a local connection. Does he ever come back? <laughs> he's He's got a house a bit a few miles further west from here. Oh, okay. And um, uh, Queen played their first concerts in Toro when they were Smile before they changed their name to Queen. Actually, the first monkey I saw live Mm-hmm. play live was peter oh. and he came over here in 2007 with uh shoe suede blues his blues right. band uh-huh and he actually played in my hometown oh my and when when my sister and i first saw it advertised we thought it was a tribute band mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> we went along and it was actually peter <laughs> what a surprise was, yeah yeah <laughs> So that was the first first monkey I saw. I think the second one was Mickey when he was over here doing the musical Hairspray in London. Mm-hmm. And I saw the monkeys, um, the three monkeys in concert without Nes, mm-hmm. uh, on their 2011 tour. Okay. Um, two concerts over here. And then um, <clears throat> I got my courage together and flew to America and saw two of the two more concerts over there the same tour and so then you... i saw saw nez for the first time live mm-hmm. in 2012 when he came over here and did that little mini tour before the movies of the mind that was the first tour he'd done for decades 
Mm-hmm. There was only four concerts, but I managed to get to all four. On the Movies of the Mind tour, because that was 2013, right? And he, he played um, a 10-minute walk from my apartment at the time. Oh, right. Um, and that was just, that was incredible, you know, and, and just so um, so surreal because the place that he played was um, a place that I've played several times, you know. Um, oh, wow. Called uh, The Iron Horse. I've said this before, but not the highlight of the show, but the the unexpected highlight of that entire experience was watching Peter Tork and uh, Leah Kunkel, who mm. lives in Northampton, walk in together. And, you know, and just knowing like, you know, they 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 dated in the 60s. There's like pictures of them, you know, um, being all cute together in the 60s. And mm-hmm. then just seeing them in 2013, uh, in my in my town, walking in together to to see Mike Nesmith play, you know, and um, yeah, it was just so incredible. It was a, a a little moment similar to that on the the last uh, concert of the 2012 tour when Nes came over here. Um, the last one was uh, in in London in the chapel, and uh, I look I was. Front, I managed to get front row seats for all the shows. And I looked across to the right just before the lights went down, just before he came on. And all his family were, all the Nesmiths were all sitting in, in a row on the right-hand side. They'd all oh, flown man. over for the last show. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. Oh, man. And I didn't know any of them at that time, you know, mm-hmm. so I couldn't sort of, sidle over afterwards and say hello but but yeah. uh, that was the first time i'd seen them all when did you form the the facebook club uh the facebook page and did that grow out of your video ranch membership or presence um uh, i started it as a fan page in two, 2012 and video ranch page was still going then but i thought there was um there, there were some wonderful sites for photographs and people's um, memories and of tours and, and things like that. But I thought there was a need for somewhere that people could look up um, information and facts. There uh, didn't seem to be anything that was easy to find in one place. So I thought I'd start a Facebook page um, where people could find out snippets of information about his work and his life and that and then after he passed I it turned into a tribute page it's been going ever since and seems seems to um still attract new people yeah and you're you're very uh dedicated and um you know you're 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 a a steady presence you know you're (laughs) thank you yeah um and now how many how many people follow that at the moment it's up to about Five thousand one hundred and something. Wow! Uh, it comes and goes in waves. You know, um, you don't have any new followers for a while, and then suddenly somebody will copy something onto another page, and you've got a whole lot of new people looking at things. I, I, I was at one stage. I was getting sort of like um, two hundred or three hundred people at looking at each post, mm-hmm. and then I put a post up about. The chocolate brown mini that Nes bought in the UK, and somebody copied it 
to um, a Facebook page, a car mini uh, for mini car owners, and suddenly it jumped up to two thousand people oh, wow. looking at it, <laughs> which was amazing. I wondered where they'd all come from at first. When I first started traveling to the USA, he did seem surprised that I would want to fly so far to see him. Mm -hmm. um, he, he wrote on one of my CDs that he autographed, he put, uh, so many miles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, if he wasn't going to come over here again, because um, the, the second tour that he was planning fell through, you know, well, I had to go over there. Mm. You know, simple. <laughs> Just backtracking for a minute. Uh, were you aware of... Um what was it 1997 when the four monkeys did a handful of shows around England or around the UK? I, I saw them on television when they were uh, interviewed mm -hmm. to advertise uh, the, um, the tour, but that was the first I'd heard of it. Mm -hmm. I, I said, uh, Breakfast television. I think they were on for a few minutes. Yeah. 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 A few of those things are on YouTube still after the show went off the air we still continued as these characters in a way being this band as if Leonard Nimoy had really become a Vulcan <laughs> or, if I could or, shoot that analogy in the head and say it's a little <laughs> bit like John Cleese opening Faulty Towers <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're, you're teen idols second time around what's that has that well somebody in the telegraph some schmuck in the telegraph <laughs> We His name like, was oh, Spock, I <laughs> <laughs> the, the Spice Girls, the Spice Girls' grandfathers. I date one of the Spice Girls. I mean, come on. Do I look like Spice Girl grandfather? Well, yeah, actually. <laughs> and I suppose this uh, this time you're. Uh, how shall I put this? Without the folly and the excesses of youth. I, uh, I uh, right. Folly had to stay behind. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, she wasn't. Uh, she wasn't happy about it. But I left. However, her. excesses of youth is in my room. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that uh, we both went to Los Angeles for the for the Troubadour show. So, what number trip was that for you? Uh, let me think. One, two, three, four, five, six. Mm. The sixth one, yeah. Mm. I saw the monkeys the first time. The second time uh, was San Diego when I met him. Uh, oh, and then I went to Motor, Motor City Comic Con up near Detroit. Oh, okay. Um, when he was, I think that was about the second convention he'd ever done. Mm -hmm. And uh uh, I went to the book talk in Santa Monica mm -hmm. for Infinite Tuesday, oh, yeah. uh, and then I did the the Coach House and Troubadour and the San Francisco shows, mm -hmm. and and then I came over. The last one was 2019 for the Sand City celebration. Yeah. That was a good show. It was an outdoor concert. You know, it was a big celebration with stalls and music acts and that all outdoors yeah you know i never ended up meeting nez face to face which i really no never did you you didn't have a meet and greet at the concert we went to mm -mm. um i sort of had this weird attitude of like well geez you know he 
he sought me out and hired me for his for his you know website yeah um i'm not gonna pay <laughs> you know the first time i i met him was when i went to the monkeys concert in san diego um i can't remember what year that was uh 2013 or 20 i think it was a towards the end of 2013 yeah. um because i was a video rancher then um i was in contact with jessica kent uh, who was oh, his yeah. assistant at the time she was really nice was. um and i said to her i'm coming to the show with a friend you know um is there any chance that um i could say hello to nez could there were no meet and greets uh, on that tour, I don't think. Not not arranged ones. Um, so she said, oh, well, we'll um, I'll see what I can do. Um, and when I got to the concert, there were backstage passes waiting for us. Oh, so nice. Yeah, so that was the first time I actually spoke to him in person because I mm. chatted with him in VR3D before that. He used to come in and chat to us yeah. in, in World. Yeah, so that I, I got backstage with his, with the friends he'd given passes to, um, um, and had a proper chat, and he knew who I was. We'd never met in person, face to face before, but yeah. uh, you know, I went to introduce myself, and he said, "I know who you are." <laughs> <laughs> wow! So, I, if if it had been a different time, he would have done the same for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, probably the the biggest chance would have been at after the Troubadour show, but that was such a huge show, and I know that afterwards there was probably so many people. And then I was concerned about like, oh, my my flight is really early tomorrow morning. I I should gotta get back. And but yeah, you know, like the day before that, I had hung out with Andrew, and um, I don't know why I just kind of got into this thing like, oh, I don't want to bug Andrew. Oh, I don't want to bug Nez. I'm just here to be to watch the show. And we'll hear much more from Linda after this next segment. And now for a brand new segment on questions but no answers. And of course, I'm still seeing what does and doesn't work. This is a segment that, for now, we'll call... For a while, I'll just play, play my guitar. And this episode's guest is an old friend of mine, as well as a brilliant singer-songwriter whose stuff you can hear if you search Bandcamp for Salvation Alley String Band. Let's enjoy this while it lasts, I implore you. Cause this too shall pass, is what I've learned. Don't waste your time. Salvation Alley String Band. Mr. Ryan Quinn. How are you doing, Ryan? Um, I'm great. Good to be here. Uh, long time listener. Uh, <laughs> first time caller. Well, it's great to uh, great to see you. And well, the listeners can't see you, but it's great to hear you. 
So the other guest on this episode uh, is a woman named Linda Wiles, who lives in Cornwall, England, which is on the extreme west coast of England. And so I figured that uh, Ryan, who is uh, calling in from the extreme east coast of the United States, in Massachusetts, the North Shore of Massachusetts, if you went up and stood on your roof with a fairly good uh, pair of binoculars, and if Linda stood on her roof with a fairly good pair of binoculars and you waved to each other, I think that you'd be able to see each other, which would be... I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. I think that's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe we can try that. So, Ryan, while you trade in a sort of Buck Owens meets Doug Sam vibe, and uh, you're also obviously a Nesmith fan, uh, do you want to tell our listeners, uh, some other artists, uh, twangy or not, uh, who you've admired, learned from, or both, both in your writing and in your playing? Oh, uh, sure. Uh, I guess uh, Willie Nelson, George Jones uh Lou Reed um the dead maybe um just uh you know I, I uh yeah as you point out I'm mostly kind of a uh country oriented but um uh pretty pretty wide ranging tastes mm. and you know s sometimes it shows up it's hard hard to avoid I suppose well I know that you used to have a mohawk so um there's a tail there <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> and i should mention that uh, while i myself was never in salvation alley string band or as the cool kids call it sal al um i did have the honor of sitting in on drums for a couple gigs including uh one at the fresh grass festival at uh, mass mocha in north adams massachusetts for which i grew a serious country rock mustache um influenced by uh john ware and um gene parsons of first national band and the birds respectively i i'm glad you brought that up i was going to have to bring it up if you neglected to mention the mustache <laughs> <laughs> that was that was a lot of fun i you know had to get into the spirit I had to sort of separate myself from the being in other bands you know so um for this segment i asked ryan to listen to two different versions of papa jean's blues uh the demo version, which is around on YouTube. I believe that the origin of it is that Andrew Sandoval played it on his radio show once and somebody recorded it, uploaded it. And so it's out there for better or for worse. Um, and, uh, and this version was recorded in early 1966. Um, there's no specific date in it. Uh, Andrew's day-by-day uh, -day book. But it is uh, Mike Nesmith on acoustic guitar uh, and John London on bass. And yeah, so my, you know, when I heard this version, uh, my first thought was, wow, that's some fancy picking. Um, and it made me think, okay, so we know that this is early 66. Uh, Nesmith had been playing since uh, the beginning of 60, uh, late 63, early 64. Um, is this advanced? Is this, uh, 
you know, just sort of like a uh, uh, a basic technique that any guitar player can use, can learn overnight if they just practice a bit, or is this uh, impressive? Um, and also, uh, to my ears, uh, the composition of this song might represent like sort of the first quantum leap in Nesmith's songwriting. And so let's listen to it first, and then we'll have Ryan comment on it. Blues, Bells. Papa Jean's Blues, take 12. We ready? Destination sunny bright that once before was blue. I have no more than I did before, but now I've got all that I need. For I love you and I know you love me. So take my hand, I'll start my journey free from all the helpless worry that sets a man when he's alone for strength is mine when we're together and with you i know i'll never have to pass the high road or the low i have no more than i did before but now i've got all that i need i love you and i know you love me yes i love you Okay, Ryan, what are your thoughts on the demo version of Papa Jean's Blues? Well, I hadn't heard this before, and uh, I I love it. Um, I I think it's really fantastic. Uh, the The guitar playing strikes me as being uh, a real jump ahead from uh, the earlier stuff that you were playing a couple episodes ago. Uh, I mean, he uh, he picked up guitar extremely quickly it it seems to me um you know it sounds very uh the guitar playing sounds very uh folk influenced and very uh country influenced and uh, i'll explain why i guess it, it hits my ears that way the the folk sound s strikes me that uh he must have been listening to a lot of uh finger-picked guitars um, he must have been listening to a lot of, uh, you know, more delicate playing and he's making that work, uh, he's making that work with a guitar pick, uh, just very rapidly moving across the, across the strings to, um, play across these arpeggios, which is a way of saying playing a chord one note at a time, kind of, um, and, uh, you know, it, it sounds like something that you'd pick up from uh from records and uh you know maybe he knew that it was finger picking maybe he didn't but he was uh 
recreating it with a pick. Uh, the other, the the real influence I I think I hear is um, Doc Watson, uh, who's a uh, fantastic uh, fantastic guitarist um, uh, who popularized some finger finger style uh, and some flat picking guitar uh, on on sort of the edge of bluegrass. Wake up next morning about half past nine The hacks and the buggies all are standing in line Gents and the gamblers standing all around Taking little Sadie to her burying ground Then I begin to think of what a deed I'd done I grabbed my hat and away I run I made a good run but a little too slow They overtook me in Jericho and you know, I think I think you hear some of that. Um, he's not just strumming chords, uh, and in fact, when he begins to strum chords, he's syncopating off the bass uh, when he starts when he starts hitting the chords, um, which you know is a complex thing to do while you're singing if you've been playing for two years. You know, uh, so it it strikes me that he's uh, he's progressed significantly. And you know he's drawing from a lot of influences. The the country part I hear is um, when he plays fills, and when he's playing uh, to move between chords, he's playing a, a few single note runs, and um, he's playing a really classic uh, country and bluegrass run. Uh, it's it's a country could call it a country scale which is a like a major scale with a uh a minor third added to it you don't want to demonstrate do you oh i could yeah uh that might be neat yeah let me see if i have a guitar in tune okay and i'll interject here just to say that at this point uh ryan and i realized that zoom is actually really horrible at recording um instruments and uh so what Ryan did was uh, record separate uh, explanations of um, and demonstrations on the guitar of what he's talking about, which I will intersplice within the rest of the interview. So occasionally you have uh, <clears throat> Nesmith uh, playing some little runs in a uh, uh, country scale, which sounds a bit like this. <laughs> You've got you got a minor third thrown in there, which is sort of a bluesy note. You skip the seventh, and uh, you hear this all over bluegrass and country. Right. So that type of that type of scale is just a very common, you know, end of phrase uh, end of phrase uh, um, run that a guitar plays and. Uh, he's now he's now added that into uh, into his playing, mm-hmm. um, moving from chord to chord with that type of run. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's some pretty strong folk and country influence in his uh, in his uh, writing at this point. This then led to a question that I had about the different skill sets involved in being a great picker and rhythm player 
like Nesmith, versus being a great lead guitar player. The ensuing conversation wasn't really that exciting, but it did end with this great point that Ryan made. The the flashiness of being a good picker and rhythm player is like uh, you do it totally stoned faced. There's no uh, there is no flashiness. There's no like, you know, there's no foot up on the monitor pointing out at the crowd. Uh, if you watch people who do that kind of flat picking, they are um, the sh- the show off part is entirely in the playing, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, it, you know, and it may may even attract a different kind of personality. Mm. Um, the person who's drawn to do that kind of uh, uh, to let the work speak for itself. Mm-hmm. And a point that I failed to make at this point was uh, ex folky and bluegrass players like Clarence White and Jerry Garcia. Um, their onstage demeanor was very subdued and um, guitar face free. In other words, despite transitioning into rock and roll lead guitar players, they still continued to just let their fingers do the talking as opposed to their faces or their body language, for the most part. And I think Ryan would appreciate that point. Anyway, let's get back to the interview. I think in the last episode, uh, your your guest speaker, uh, uh, Jason, Jason, oh, yeah. who was it? Jason something? Jason Bourgeois. Jason Bourgeois, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I recall that he noted uh, um, that his interest in playing music was in writing songs, mm-hmm. and he wasn't as interested in that kind of, uh, you know, that kind of uh, specialization and if mm-hmm. he needs that specialization he'd, he'd ask someone and i think um the yeah. kind of playing that you're that you're hearing is the playing of a you know of a songwriter mm. um you know of a, of a singer songwriter to be sure someone who is uh is putting these demos together to be heard and hopefully to be recorded by other people or later himself but mm. uh you know, it's the playing is in service of of the song, and yeah. and I think that's uh, you know fairly mature. Well, that's great. Now, um, how about the um, the chord structure, the progression? Yeah, there's a so there's two things in this that are. Um, uh, you know really stand out to me one is the second chord in the chorus it's outside the um it's outside the key and that would be uh, the um the chord that's under did before right yeah did, did the did before chord yes yeah. i think it's a flat sixth which is uh not in the key but it has a couple notes that mm. are close to the key mm. uh and what this this is another thing that strikes me as being a a very um a very folk move the song has a kind of uh uh you know swing chord structure moving along in fifths and 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 such but when it hits that chord what you have is a very simple way of implying a much more complex chord that would exist if it was actually a jazz song 
um, like with extensions and so forth. But instead, by hitting, you know, essentially what we might call an open chord or a cowboy chord, uh, you know, something that is easily played, but has enough of those notes to suggest um, a real tonal shift. Uh, this is um, this is a huge step forward in mm -hmm. his songwriting. It's much, much more complex mm -hmm. than uh, some of the songs we've heard before. And I think it, uh, you know, it, it suggests some places that he would go in the future uh, mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, chords outside the key and, uh, you know, stretching harmonic structures while staying in a, in a vein that's basically, you know, folk and country and rock. Um, you know, it's, he's not doing it by playing these incredibly complex chords that require, you know, uh, 15 fingers mm -hmm. to play on the neck. It's, uh, it's really through the, through the songwriting, uh, rather than the playing. Mm -hmm. So I'll just get us into the, uh, into the key here by playing A. And I'll note where we get to the flat six. So we start into the chorus. Right here. So that second chord is the uh, flat six. It's a note slightly out of the key, just barely. The chord's not really in the key. Uh, it's filling in for another possible chord here. Uh, that flat six is an F major chord. Uh, and it's filling in for what is probably a D minor seven. Uh, and functionally, it's doing the same thing, uh, but it's uh, it's an interesting move. Um, and, and another thing that I think you see in this demo that's really interesting to me is uh, the uh, there's a descending bass line in the verse that he plays on the guitar, and I, I see this as being kind of a uh a move that uh he returns to um in in a number of songs uh and a number of songs in the first national band period as well mm. uh and so there's this there's this uh baseline that's basically moving down through the scale at times uh even though the chords are not moving through the scale so the bass is playing a note that is not the root note of the chord at all times um this is not, you know, an incredibly uh, complex uh, thing to do, but it creates um, it creates something of another melody in the song. Mm -hmm. uh, it creates some tension between the guitar and the bass, mm -hmm. and uh, it creates some movement in the song, um, and. One th what's fascinating is if this is in the demo, uh, it really means that that wasn't added later. 
that wasn't something that a session musician put in mm. or something that someone suggested it's yeah. something that either that either he or john london came up with uh and you know i suspect uh it, you know if it's either of them um it really is uh it really means that that moving baseline is part of the song it's not just part of the performance it means that he conceived of it as part mm. of the song from the beginning mm. um or from early on anyway uh and so it's really fascinating to to hear the demo where that's already made it into uh the song and part of the performance um not something that was you know tacked yeah. on that um tommy to disco or someone or uh or, or a james james burton suggested right. or something like that yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so it's you know it, it's structurally yeah it's it's built into his songwriting uh mm -hmm. from you know it's baked in right from the beginning which is which is fascinating given how early this is in his um songwriting days mm -hmm. so with the uh the moving bass in this song you have uh you have nesmith playing uh slash chords which is a way of saying a chord where the root is something different than the name of the chord Normally, if you play a G chord, G is the lowest note that the guitar is playing and is the root note for the bass. Uh, but if you play a G slash D chord, you're playing the notes of a G chord with a D note being the lowest note that's played. Uh, this is... Um, this is something that can be done to create tension, can be done to create movement. Uh, here it creates some movement, and you get a situation, you get a, a, a baseline, uh, something like this. So that lowest note moving down is playing against uh, a constant G chord, creating some movement in the song, even when the G chord is held out for a, uh, a line or two. Uh, this is something that um, this is something that Nesbeth returns to uh, uh, quite a bit, in my view. But this is a think one of the first times we've heard it on the show now real quick uh are you a big star fan uh yes there's that song try again which is on big star number one album and chris bell does that same thing that that same what flat sixth um i think i think in, so yeah in, in, in the same place and i'll yeah I'll, I'll I'll play this. I remember noticing that a few years ago, and I wondered, like, huh, I don't know, maybe a very young Chris Bell was, you know, playing along to the monkeys in 1966 <laughs> or something, and was like, ooh, I gotta remember remember that, or you know, because it it sort of fulfills the same function, you know, in at in the same sort of uh, relative part of the song. Oh, 
So the other version that I sent to Ryan was the only real live version around of the Monkees as a full band playing Papa Jean's Blues live as a self-contained quartet. And it was recorded uh, January 1967, um, one of their first live concerts. This is the same concert that was documented in the last episode of the first season of the Monkees. And part of it was included on the uh, super deluxe version of more of the monkeys. And the the recording is not great, but it's it's kind of interesting. You know, everything's worth listening to a couple times. Um, Mickey is definitely not where he should be as a live drummer. Um, by that summer, he was, and he just was fla- like going for it and confident and great. Um, January 67, not quite there, and you can hear it on this version, which I'll play now. Then we'll get Ryan's thoughts on it. Sounds to me like uh, sounds to me like they've been uh, listening to the British invasion a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, I mean, it kind of fantastic energy, and uh, you know, sounds like um, it, it sounds like uh, 
live who from a couple years earlier mm. uh to me you know maybe not the drums but right. the guitar and the bass yeah <laughs> or uh, kinks i thought definitely you could hear that it's uh it's a um it, it's a tone that i don't the guitar sound is not one that i usually associate with uh mike nesmith right. but it's fantastic and he's obviously uh he's obviously having a lot of fun kind of ripping up uh on the solo now uh instead of doing all the james burton fancy uh country runs is he just basically doing like a beefed up version of what he does on the demo yeah it's a lot a lot more um of the arpeggios and just kind of uh like a little crunchy distorted chords um mm -hmm. you know some some kinks uh chord stabs um mm -hmm. But yeah, simplified a great deal as as it would have to be, uh, mm -hmm. you know, with the cacophony of the fans and mm -hmm. uh, the whole the whole band playing. For a while, I'll just play, play my guitar. And that was the fabulous Ryan Quinn enlightening us from the North Shore of Massachusetts. And now we'll return to the Southwest coast of England, Cornwall, and uh, continue and finish up our conversation with Linda Wiles. And uh, I realized that it would have been even better if Ryan was on the South Shore, because uh, Cornwall has towns named uh, Truro and Falmouth, as does the South Shore and Cape Cod of uh, Massachusetts, but oh well. Close enough. And so now, if you're still awake and still paying attention and still interested, and you really should be, because here comes part two of my interview with the fabulous Linda Wiles. So, the song at hand, um, Papa Jean's Blues. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that. As a first-generation Monkees fan, that's been probably a song that has just been uh, in your life since the age of 12. 11, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just, <laughs> Over half a century. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, well, it, it was, it was uh, on their first, first Monkees LP as well, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess... Um, I don't know your thoughts on what that song, uh, you know, what what it attracted you to it, what it's meant um, in your life throughout the years, and and it, all it's you know hearing it, um, you know, from the monkeys first monkeys album to hearing him playing it on stage at the Troubadour, and um, yeah, yeah, I, I it was one of the first Ness songs that. Uh, I heard um, when the series started. Um, oh, that Texas accent was <laughs> really something special. Um, <clears throat> and I think the the main thing that, that made that one so special was that a lot of his songs are about leaving or losing somebody, and that one is just joyful. Mm -hmm. It's a celebration, and th th 
one of the working titles, I, you, yeah, it was um, one of the working titles was Band X. Right. And, but another one, working title was Happiness. Mm-hmm. Before it became Papa Jean's Blues. And, 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 and that's that, what that it word is. actually that word actually appears in the in the song, right? Yeah. Yes, it does. Before yeah. before we started, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and I like I I like the way that it he's carried it through right from before the monkeys, right the way through the the monkeys and all his solo work as well, and and so many different arrangements to suit uh, the different stages in his career. Mm-hmm. But but I think the the monkeys one on on that first LP is still my favorite version. Yeah, because it's just so happy. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's not many not that many of his songs that are as happy as that. They're they're nearly all um, reflective and looking back on things. And the time he sung it at the Troubadour, now that that was something special. Yeah, there yeah. was such an atmosphere there. Yeah. And, and when we all we all joined in the chorus, mm-hmm. uh, that was uh, that was amazing. Yeah, and yeah. just just like the look on his face, just hearing that and feeling feeling that yes. love, and yeah. just being in that moment and being like, "Wow!" Like he debuted this song on that stage. Yes, uh, you know, fifty years ago, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, that was uh, that was something. No heartache felt no longer lonely. Nights of waiting finally won me Happiness that's all rolled up in you And now with you as inspiration I look toward a destination Sunny bright that once before was blue I have no more than I did before All the helpless worry that besets a man when he's alone. For strength is mine when we're together, and with you I know I'll never have to pass the high road for the love. I have no more than I did before.
was a dream come true for me. I never thought I would, I never thought I would see uh, a concert at the Troubadour, let alone see Nez play then. On an earlier trip, um, I was going around with a friend, um, and she said, "Is there anywhere uh, in LA that you would like to visit that you haven't yet?" And I said, "Well, I'd like to see the Troubadour." So. We, we drove there so that I could take a photograph outside mm-hmm. with a sign. And there was a doorman or somebody on the door there because it was closed during the day. And and he said to, he said to us, would you like to come and have a look inside? Oh. So I, we went in and I was surprised how small it was at mm-hmm. first. Um, and then we took some photos. I took a picture of me in the bar with the posters behind Ringo's. Ringo Starr's poster behind and the signs and we sitting on the edge of the stage and I thought oh this is wonderful I never dreamt that a few years later I'd be going to a show then (laughs) that's one of my top shows that Mm -hmm. one and um his Glasgow one over here in Glasgow which is the first time I saw him play live which was a very small venue as well that was only a couple of hundred people I think that was in the basement of a church okay and it was snowing. We were queuing up outside because it was standing only. We mm-hmm. wanted to get to the front and it was snowing. We <laughs> were queuing in the snow. It's so cold in Scotland. Um, and he, he looked, because that was the first one of the tour, he looked so nervous when he came on stage, mm-hmm. you know. And and this great cheer went up and the whole place sort of vibrated and a great big smile came on his face and he was <laughs> beaming. And he did, did a few a few chords and everybody recognized the song and uh he seemed so surprised you know mm. but uh no i was that was that was a good atmosphere in that one as well yeah yeah wow. and 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 the last one of the tour the chapel um me and my little group of friends who were all Nez fans we'd gone to all four concerts and we all sat at the front each time mm-hmm. and and he came out uh when he was talking towards the end, he said something about thank you all for coming. And he said, and some of you have been here uh, every time. And he sort of pointed to us in the front <laughs> row. <laughs> I thought that was good. <laughs> but there's so many different arrangements. That, so I lost count how many arrangements there were. Yeah. I remember but when he- when Live at the Brit came out, um, I was really excited to hear that version. Just sort of my taste at the time, you know, early 90s, uh, mid 90s. I wasn't listening to very much stuff that sounded like, you know, 90s Nez, but I was still, you know, a huge fan. So I wasn't going to buy Live at the Brit. But do you remember when Video Ranch had that thing where you could order, you could program your own mix CD? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, uh, Blossom Special? Yeah, that was it. Yeah, I got one of those. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had the the Papa Jeans Blues from Brit Festival on that. And, you know, at the time, you know, it was just, there was so little Nez out there, you know, like current day. And just hearing him sing, you know, this old classic with his 90s style, it was uh, really cool. And cool to know that, that that was a song that he still embraced, you know, and didn't just see as like a goofy song, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. 
nights of waiting finally won me Happiness that's all rolled up in you And now with you as inspiration I look toward a destination Sunny bright that once before was blue I have no more than I did Sets a man when he's alone For strength is mine when we're together And with you I know I'll never Have to pass the high road or the low Have no more than I did before But now I've got all I need For I Let me just interject for a second and give credit to those excellent solos. Uh, first, it was John Jorgensen on guitar, followed by John Hobbs on keyboards, and lastly, none other than Red Rhodes on pedal steel in one of his final performances before he passed away. And that was recorded on June 19, 1992 at the Brit Festival in Jacksonville, Oregon. Now back to the last segment of my interview with Linda Wiles. Yeah. I, I've got a I've got a blog as well, a, a WordPress blog. It's called Focus on Nez. All right. So how can people find that? Well, there's a link on the on the uh, at the top of the uh, tribute page, and okay. and when I post something on the blog, it comes up on the tribute page as well. 
I don't, it's not very often I post on there, but there there tend to be longer posts with all the information on, you know, like um, on his nudie suit or the or the cars or things yeah. like that. I'm it's easier to search on there if you're looking for something. Okay, I'm definitely going to check that out, and I think all the listeners should as well. Um, now you also had the Tumblr uh, saving Nez's posts. Was oh that, yes, yeah. yeah, that's come in handy a couple times for me when I've wanted to uh, show off the post where he linked to my my uh, my blog. Mm-hmm. Um, I I started that one the the um, Tumblr one when I realized that because Ness used to post almost every day back back then on his I I noticed that he was um, deleting posts on there after a few days and uh, some someone would say oh I missed that post did you copy it so I thought well I'll copy them you know they they were they were all um, you know, public posts. So I thought I'd save them. So I saved most of them. Yeah. And that's that's still out there as well. So that's yeah. uh, that's a great service. A lot of these posts were just really um well thought out and uh you know or or even if they were stream of consciousness, you know, stream of consciousness Nez is still fascinating and oh, yeah, uh, such a such a wonderful sense of humor. Yeah. Very dry sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then sometimes it's like, I have no idea what he's talking about. But <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's, yeah, that's the great thing. I, I did, I did when I copied a couple of his posts on, onto my pages, I, I um, when he was posting still, I did um, preface them with saying, you know, um, get your Babel fish ready. <laughs> that <laughs> reference, I mean, it was a, he was a good friend with mm-hmm. good friends with Douglas Adams, you know, the translating Babel fish stick in your ear so you can understand all languages. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Though. He had so many stories and I think he could have filled several volumes of books with all these stories. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Infinite Tuesday probably could have been, you know, three hundred more pages easily mm-hmm. and, and still been just as fascinating. Yeah. He used to he used to chat in in world in, in VR 3D and he would tell little stories sometimes then you know mm-hmm. when um, Frank Sinatra asked if he would uh, invited him to dinner and, and things like that you know really <laughs> it just drop little things into the conversation sometimes and you think oh my god what? <laughs> yeah wow yeah. but um, no I miss that I miss the little stories he used to come up with. Mm-hmm. So it's nice. It's nice that people people like Ed Heffelfinger and and that mm-hmm. are still sharing their memories. Yeah, they've got, a lot, they've got a lot of stories to tell and wonderful photographs. Mm-hmm. And Henry Diltz's photographs and and Sherry Hansen. They, we're we're really lucky that we have so many wonderful photographs of everything. Oh, it's true. It's true. Mm-hmm. What have been the most wonderful and interesting things that have happened? in your life, thanks to your Nez fandom that you'd want to share, uh, both online and in person? Well, I think the the biggest thing is that um, he gave me the courage to travel on my own 
to America. I'd never been on holiday on my own before. I'd never flown on my own before. Mm. But because I'd made so many friends through Video, Video Ranch 3D, and because I had the chance to meet him, uh, it gave me the courage to set off on a long trip. And uh, it was brilliant. And I, after that, I flew to um, the U.S., six or seven times wow. and af um, after that I flew to Australia on my own to visit my son which I would never have done otherwise ah. he, he, he gave me the courage to to, to come over and and um, do something that I never thought I would do and I made so many friends through Video Ranch mm -hmm. and through his music good friends I'm still friends with now even though Video Ranch isn't extant at the moment. Okay. But, um, uh, yeah, I met so many nice people. And, and when I was in America, I met up with a lot of them as well. Mm -hmm. Well, let's see. So we have three minutes left. Is there anything, I don't know, just like a story you've been dying to tell or any sort of thoughts that we haven't? Oh, my goodness. That's, that's like them doing those little, little bits at the end of the... Monkey series when they got makeup time. <laughs> yeah, right. Probably. Yeah. I really hate these interviews. We'll do an interview together, you and me. Here we go. <clears throat> well, uh, t tell me, Mick, uh, where did you uh, really get your hair? Oh. So I'm I'm very grateful for all the people I've I've met through him. Some <laughs> really good friends. You know, I was I was afraid when when video. 3D stopped and, and um, things started winding down a bit that uh, everybody would scatter because he seemed to be the glue that hung everybody, to, kept everybody together, mm -hmm. you know, the big circle of friends. But but I, I, there's still a lot of us that keep in contact. They've been very good to me when I've been over in America because I don't drive over there. And it's not easy to get around in America if you don't drive. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, no, they, they've been very good to me when I've gone over and they've really made my trips special. Well, all right, Linda, this was so much fun. Well, yes, it's lovely talking to you. I hope you can get a few bits out of that to use anyway. I think I, I, think I definitely will. Yeah. Right. That's great. All right. Thank you for doing that. Wow. Are you kidding me? 90 minutes? Are you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me? 90 minutes from now? Are you? Anyway, I'd like to thank my guests, Linda Wiles, that's Linda with a Y, Wiles with an I, and Ryan Quinn, that's Ryan with a Y, Quinn with an I. See how everything's connected here at QBNA HQ? So, because this episode wasn't quite long enough, haha, I've got a bonus track to play you. But before I do that, I'd like to once again hype Linda Wiles' Facebook page called Michael Nesmith UK Tribute Page, as well as her WordPress blog, Focus on Nez, which is so much fun to look through. And as far as Ryan Quinn goes, check out all of the Salvation Alley stuff on Bandcamp and follow them on Facebook. And as far as I go, follow me and tell all your Nezhead friends. On Facebook, it's Where's That Sound Coming From podcast. On Instagram, it's questions but no answers pod. And if you want to email me, 
It's where's that sound coming from at gmail.com. And now the bonus track. So my rising sign is Capricorn, which means that I might present as business-minded and serious and fixed in my opinions, but my sun and moon signs are both Sagittarius, which means that uh, I have strong opinions that might change a hundred times per hour. But I swear I really do mean what I say until I don't. This is all to say that a funny thing happened to me between thinking that I'd finished this episode and actually finishing it. On a rare free night last week, while sipping a maker's mark on the rocks and looking at YouTube on my TV, I happened upon a mix of 2013 Movies of the Mind video clips and super duper dug them. This was surprising. I had apparently allowed Amarcord, to borrow Nez's and Fellini's word for it, to lower my opinion of that tour. I mean, every Nez fan has their own personal connection, or own personal movie, that goes on during each of his songs, and I kind of objected to what felt like his trying to replace each of our own personal movies with his master movie. It reminded me of the 1974 Zigzag show, if you've ever heard the unedited bootleg version, which was, like Movies of the Mind, also a return to the stage after a long time away. And a lot of his stage banter at that show also seemed to want to control how the audience interpreted each song. And this is a whole different deep subject that we don't need to get into, but I'll just quickly say that that tendency of Nez's to make sure that his audience doesn't misinterpret him or his work, to me almost seems like a symptom of Monkey's era of PTSD. Because he had, at one point early in his career, allowed a corporate machine to manipulate his image, which in turn first impressions being what they are, more or less cemented his image in the vast, vast majority of the public. Nezheads, you and I are in the vast minority in that we like and care enough about Michael Nesmith's work to have dived below the surface of Monkey Mike and found so much to hear and see and ponder and enjoy, and maybe criticize, as I just did regarding Nez's instinct to control the narrative. But that's my right as a fan, right? Anyway, While I still feel that way, I can now separate the talking from the music, and now my opinion of the Movies of the Mind tour is that it was a fucking great band who played the crap out of those songs. There's a sort of looseness and fun that I hear now that might have actually been lacking in the Redux band a couple years later. Could that be? Again, wait for my opinion to change. I'm sure it will. But right now, I just love the Movies of the Mind band and how they played. I think some of it had to do with the rhythm section of Paul Lime on drums and Joe Chimay on bass. Those two have played with Nez on and off for literally decades, so they really know each other. At the show I saw, I wasn't sure what to think about Bo Cooper on keys, but upon review, I don't know what my problem was. His solos and flavors are fantastic. And of course, the absolute genius and impeccable fashion sense of Chris Scruggs. Whew. Man, can that guy play it all and look great doing it. And that set list. Lamp Post? Casablanca Moonlight? Dance and Have a Good Time? Light? Damn. Oh, and I didn't love Lime's electronic drums, but I've learned to accept their practical purpose. He's a hard hitter, and they were playing dynamic songs in smallish venues. Practical solution, I guess. But I remember at the time thinking, why can't Nez just do it like Dylan or Neil Young? No talk, nothing synthetic, just pure raw beauty and music. 
I now know that I was, in fact, trying to control Nez's narrative just as much as he was. Crazy how that works, man. After all, what did he say at the ZigZag show about all of us being of one mind? Anyway, I'd like to end this epic episode with the Movies of the Mind version of Papa Jean's Blues. I really love the feel of this one, and right now, it's my favorite post-monkeys version. Well, how about them apples? And this comes from the bonus LP that came with the limited edition vinyl-only version of Movies of the Mind, which I should have ordered, but I didn't. So I'm reliant upon YouTube uploads. I'm not sure which show this was recorded at, except that it was fall 2013. So enjoy this as the closing credits music, and I'll see you in a couple more weeks. Peace and love. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Nesbitt. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you so much.